adopted at six months old by a family uh, who lived in Virginia Beach. It was my mom and my dad, the Etheridges. So at that point, you know, I just was raised, but my mother was from Norfolk. So I was raised with this duality of understanding that Virginia Beach, we live here in this middle-class neighborhood, but you know, this is the, the more prevalent reality for our people. You know, I, I was able to see and balance both worlds and get an experience from both worlds. Going to school with, um, you know, predominantly white environments, so that that played a big role in all of I think in all of our lives who came out of Virginia musically, because if you listen to Virginia artists or Virginia producers, there's a the sound is is broad in the sense that you'll hear a lot of different things, um, because I think that has a lot to do with us being exposed to the music culture of other people because we were in integrated environments. Yeah, there's something in the James River. And for those who don't know the James River, speaking of the James River <laughs> Bridge, yeah. as you're coming across Newport News and to the right, you see the shipyards. And this is how the shipyards was such a big industry, even though I lived in North Carolina. We had people mm -hmm. that lived in my area. They would go leave their cars at the local Hardee's and there would be a van that would come pick them up every morning and drive them to the shipyards to work and bring them back. The facts. Yeah, that's crazy because the shipyards, like I said, big employer, and it's such a diverse area. The Hampton Roads, you got Norfolk, Hampton, Newport News, Chesapeake, mm -hmm. and you have York, Williamsburg. So not only musically, Virginia is for lovers. Athletics is a big thing in Virginia. We could go down the list of yeah. all the great athletes that came out of VA Correct. from AI, a.k.a. Bubba Chuck, Michael Vick. Mm -hmm. I believe Aaron Brooks yep. from Virginia, Ronald Curry, Bruce Smith, mm -hmm. Lonzo yep. Mourning. So what is it that you think about the Joe top water? Basketball. Uh -huh. Yeah, and Mike Tomlin from Newport News yeah. as well. So what do you think it is about VA athletically that led to all of these superstars just blossoming in their respective sports? Mm, I think with uh, the, the sports aspect of it, I think we have good programs uh, at the high school level. You know, I think we had, and then the college level as well, like with the, you know, our HBCUs. So I think, and then we have a very strong Pop Warner presence as well. My son played for the Mustangs for a long time and they're known for spawning out like Percy Harvin and just people who, you know, went on to do great things because when you're taught early and young something, you become, an expert earlier than you do if you pick it up later. You know what I'm saying? So I think that played a big role in it. Uh, our Even our community leagues are dope. We, our community leagues were crazy. You know what I'm mean? saying? And then I think we just have, you know, um, a lot of talent out here. It just, you know, that's a blessing. It's God. And I don't, this is not a regional thing, but just African-Americans in general are, are blessed with an excessive amount of talent when it comes to sports and the arts. Mm, I definitely agree with that. And also Plasco Burris from the Tidewater area. Oh, yeah, that's, I know Taylor yeah, that's, he, from, he from the really, uh, Tidewater area as well. He was really cool with a friend of mine. And he used to come over. <laughs> he used to come over as a teenager to my friend's house. We used to hang out at my man's crib, and, which was like by the school, Green Run High School. So he would come over like after his games, you know, get some money to go to the games or get some money to go hang out with a girl. Like my man would, would help him out. So... I seen him come up, definitely, definitely a, a, a superior athlete, you know what I mean? So, 
Mm. Definitely. I've yeah. seen that with yeah. I was able to witness his his uh progression. Yeah, and before we go into the music aspect, my dad, before he got into the ministry, as mm -hmm. we were talking before this interview, that he lived in Newport News for a minute. He was stationed in the Army over by Fort Eustis, lived on Ashton Green Boulevard, and he was in principal at Aberdeen Elementary in Hampton. Wow, that's dope. Yeah, I've heard of that school. Like I yeah. said, I across the water, was a we didn't really go over across the water as much just because of the distance, but... I've heard of that school. That's dope. Yeah, had my fair share of going over that Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel on 64, yeah. going over to the Coliseum Mall, because I remember seeing oh, yeah. the um, oh, Hampton yeah. Coliseum yeah. directly by, because it used to be a Daryl Steak and Ale spot over there. It was hot over there. It was It was a place, it was, it was fun, too. Mm -hmm. So tell me about some of your musical influences that listen that you listened to growing up, and did you cut your teeth in the talent show circuit, I believe, at Princess Anne High School, correct? Yes, sir. So musically influenced, I, it started in the church for me, okay, which was, um, it was mainly because that was my upbringing and structure. So mm -hmm. you had to go to church on Sunday. So I'm, you know, as a young child from six months on, like I said, I was adopted because I was born to a teenage mother in Portsmouth, but I got adopted into this family that raised me in a church, you know what I mean? So my destiny was shifted early on as a child because the environment that I probably would have grew, grown up in would not have produced the person that's sitting on this camera today. I'd have been different, you know what I mean? Because of my environment. So um, I, my musical influences are broad, but it started with church. It started with, cause I started singing in the choir and uh, my first uh, instructor, Andrew Williams, who was a pianist and a and a, a musician, he was a great singer. So he taught like us a lot about vocals and how to be on key and just different things like that. So growing up in that from a young child, like I did a recording with my church choir when I was around 14 years old and I led a song, you know what I mean? So already I was experiencing uh, recording and different things, but my musical influence were brought because my mom's sisters, my aunts and them, they listened to like Motown and Air Supply and, you know, um, Kiss and all of these like rock bands and all this kind of stuff. So I was exposed to a lot of different Barbara Streisand, Stevie Wonder, you know what I mean? So when I would go to their house, I would literally sit at the record player and play all these records. Cause when I'm home, all I'm hearing is church music. You know, it's going to be choir or it's going to be quartet or it's going to be you know what I mean? Just straight gospel. So those were my outlets. You know what I mean? Like my uncles and my aunts, they would play these records for me. And I'm like, yo, what is this? Especially when I would hear like pop artists, you know, I was really intrigued by that because I, I didn't know anything about it. And then obviously when the hip hop era came, I was really young as well. So what I would do, even I don't, it was a, it was a show that used to come on, I think midnight something on, in, in VA in the 757. And I would, uh, I would just write out the lyrics to songs like Secret Lover or You Are My Lady, you know, by uh, Freddie Jackson. And I would sing these records at school. I'm in the fourth grade or third grade, you know, but it was then I started developing the writing, but I didn't really even know what it was then. Even after, you know, traveling in the high school, I just knew I could sing and, and I would rap as well. Because my first talent show was at Windsor Woods, my elementary school, where I had a rap group, which was me. <laughs> my friend Rashad and my, my friend Edwin Smith. So I wrote all their raps 
and then put it to a beat and we did that talent show because my influence started shifting as hip hop culture started coming into play. So, you know, I started listening to rap and Duke. I got introduced to Biz Marquee, Rakim, you know, those guys started being Rakim, Special Ed, you know, the Juice Crew, Molly Mall, all of that started becoming like, I was idolizing these guys because I love this, like, what is this? So, you know, that's why um, my musical uh, background is so broad, man. It's just, it's so much into it. And that's why now when you hear the new music that I'm doing, you're going to hear a lot of that. You know what I'm saying? It's not just going to be, you know, R&B or, or just straight singing. It's going to be a lot of different things because I realized that my, my musical makeup is made up of a lot of different genres of music, you know? So I wanted to do something different with still balancing my faith into it in a way that it was it could affect people and they could hear it. So so yeah man that's and um the talent shows like I said I had the one talent show in elementary then of course once I got to high school I met Pharrell in, in middle school actually but he was a little older than me so I caught up to him after middle school. I met him in high school and then um you know that's where the talent show stuff came. So and the interesting story with the talent show is see you gotta realize me, Shay, Sheldon, uh, from NERD, Chad, and Pharrell was four of us, okay? And what we would do every day at the, at the leadership of Pharrell, because Pharrell was like, you know, he was like, he was, he was the oldest, and he was also very uh, confident in his musical ability, even at a, at a young age. Like, this guy knew who he was, you know what I mean? So every day, he would be like, look, we go going to the studio, and he would write me songs, and I would sing them, you know what I mean? And we would go to like Chad's house, record stuff. Then we had the rapping in it. It was, a, it was a mixture. It was a mixing bowl of everything that these talented guys, Chad, myself and Pharrell and Shay, it was a mixture of everything that we had in us musically. You know what I mean? So, and Pharrell was the, you know, obviously the leader in moving the pieces around and he was an incredible writer even then. You know what I mean? This guy wrote Looking in the Water, a song that Blackstreet later did in high school. He brought me that in the lunchroom. Wow. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, Pharrell was always an artist. So it's funny, his music, like if you, people may not have ever seen what his lyrics look like when he writes them out, but it looks like calligraphy. It's not like handwriting. So I would be like, yo, it would be hard to read because it was literally art within art. You know what I'm saying? The guy was just, he, he was who he was. So we would go to the studio every day after school. I mean, get kicked out. We wouldn't get kicked out because we never got in. They'd be like, these kids is back. Who is these kids? Sifu, who was the security guard, he like, yo, y'all don't come up here no more. Like, it was so crazy that I'd just be like, yo, Pharrell, man, come on, we, we gonna get arrested out here trying to, you know, but he was persistent. He was persistent, very persistent. Um, and then Teddy decided to have a talent show. And that's where things kind of like, we were able to perform there. Um, God, Omar Chandler, God rest his soul, was a very influential in exposing Pharrell and, and myself and Chad to what this thing called the music industry was. Cause we just kids, we don't know. We just know we talented in our own ways. So um, the talent show, we did that together and we killed it, you know what I mean? We did Look In The Water and we did um, some other records that were more like on that NERD feel, you know what I mean? So. Um, it was a song called The Wet, Wet, Wet. 
And um, yeah, so we had a good time. We had fun. And Teddy knew at that moment, these kids are special. I don't know how to put it all together because, you know, Pharrell's like multi-talented with the writing and all of that and rapping. And then you got Mike who could sing well as well. And he, you know, at that time I wasn't really into the writing as much. And then Chad, who started playing the keyboard at six, you know, his parents were investing into his gift. So they would buy him the, the things that were needed to, to make the music, whether it was a keyboard, a microphone, whatever. So that's how things were getting done. That's how people could hear what we could do because Chad was the source of, of where we would go in his, um, above his garage, man, man to make the music. So crazy. In the studio that Mikey is referring to is was Future Studios, which Correct. Teddy Riley set up shop. And I believe it was not too far from the high school because you guys would go and hang around this kid about, man, what are you guys doing here? So it was that persistence. Oh, it was literally walking distance. Like, like a stone stone. Yeah, walk across the little marsh they had. Every day we was up in it, like, you know, ringing the doorbell. <laughs> and you can see inside. That was the weird thing. You could not see inside. So all this was, it was a dream for us to get inside those. I'll never forget the first day we got inside those doors and sung for him. That's when he decided to do a talent show because of us. People don't know that. Like before the talent show even, you know, became a thing, he already knew. Let me, that's what made him want to see what else was out here. That's because crazy. of us. Yeah, because I can and, remember, you know, growing up like a little over two hours from Virginia Beach, once we heard that Teddy Riley was going to set up shop in Virginia Beach, yeah. we were like, okay, this is this is something. And then once the Rump Shaker video hit, we were like, whoa, this is this is major. Well, you got to realize, uh, Pharrell, the beat was obviously Teddy's creation, but the song, you know, I got to say, you know, literally was Pharrell's vision as far as the way that record moved. All I want to do is zoom on, zoom, zoom. That's Pharrell. In my poom, in the poom, poom. Just shake your rump. That's all him. You get a yes, it's Teddy. Ready for the one, two checker. That's all Pharrell's pen. You know what I mean? So it was early on that that brother knew, like, he was different. You know what I'm saying? He was special. So, you know, I don't take nothing from him, man. He, he, he's, a, he's a genius, a musical genius, man. And it was proof. And I seen it. So, you know, I seen it happen. So it wasn't like, the things that we see now are surprising to me. You know what I mean? That guy was cutting his clothes in school, making his own stuff where people would laugh at him and clown him and everything. You know what I'm saying? Because he was so different, man. And he saw fashion and he saw, you know, things that guys in high school like us, we weren't even really thinking about at the time. So he, you know, he knew what he wanted and he, he did it. So, you know, that song Rump Shaker is a Virginia Beach record you know what i mean deeper than just recorded in virginia beaches the feel of it is virginia you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. now and, did any of the other local high schools around the area kind of collaborate as far as okay these are the music kids at this other high school in hampton or norfolk or newport news or was everybody kind of separate and you um, maybe only saw them now, like at citywide talent shows mm -hmm. let me tell you something everybody who's i don't okay well put it this way Missy Elliott and Timberland was at that talent show too. You gotta realize Tim and Pharrell had knew, known each other. I knew Tim. Tim was like already doing the DJ thing. Tim, Tim is like one of the dopest mixes and scratches you ever want to meet in your life here. So he was already doing his thing on the, the circuit of being a DJ. 
But then he started producing. So um, I never forget because Tim went to Salem High School. So you had, you know, Salem as well. And that's where Pusha T comes from, the Salem area. You know what I mean? And no malice. So when you look at it, I remember spending the night because Tim and I got cool. And his mother and my mother. So I used to spend the night over Tim's house, right? <laughs> and um, yo, this dude was making the beats that you like the beats that we that made him who he was, let's say like a one in a million or you know, a, a pony, whatever. He was creating music like that, then on an Elise drum machine in his room as a as a teenager. You know what I mean? So I would spend the night over there just to kind of vibe with him, but it was like, his stuff was so different, man. Like I had never heard of anything like it in my life, even with Chad and them, because Chad was a keyboardist. So it made it a little more musical, a little easier to, 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 to approach from, and, and that style hadn't, you know what I mean? It hadn't hit yet. But when I tell you he wasn't doing anything, he'd been doing that for a minute. This is what I try to tell people. Most of the people that we hear and we celebrate and we talk about how great they are, they were already great. You know what I'm saying? They didn't get any better. They didn't start writing better. They didn't start producing better. They just got the opportunity. They just got the light. Their time came. They were always dope. You know what I'm saying? It's just that their time, even Pusha T. Let me, like, because I was the first guy, the first solo artist to sign a deal out the area during that time in the sense that Pharrell and them knew they was gonna do production. Him and Chad, they needed to do that. That was their lane. I personally had a son at the time, so Teddy didn't put, you know, $50,000 on the table for me at the age of 17, 18 years old. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna do the solo deal thing and you guys can help with the, the project. You know what I mean? Um, so Chad and I actually, Chad produced my entire album. Master, well, except for Master Plan and Don't Change Your Mind. There's so many other records, man, that if the world could hear them records. Man, we would pay an arm and a leg, because I'm telling you that well, I, I have them. I have them. I oh, have those man. records. I have, I've let people hear them, and I'm going to tell you, it's still, like, right now, classic material. It's a song called What Can I Do, where he took the Biggie Smalls who shot your sample on some R&B stuff and killed it. Like, Chad was always dope. Standalone Chad is dope. You know what I'm saying? So... That's how that developed. We built that relationship, man, and we started moving. I was getting back to Pusha T. There was a girl named Tracy who I wanted to rap on a song on my album. And we've all, he's always been in the circle as well with Pharrell and all that. We've always been cool, come over to me and my man E-Crib because we used to live together, a, a mutual friend. And um, he came and wrote a record for her then. Pusha T wrote her rap. And the joint was so dope, Markel, Teddy's brother, and I just sat by like, yo, you dope, man. Like, so what I'm trying to say is this is, a, these guys, man, and the levels that they reached um, and the musical excellence that we've heard from them is not a mistake or it's not something they just started doing, man. These guys, they've been talented for a long time. Yeah, they even before Even before there was a, a nickel on the table or, you know, a, a budget or any of that, they've been dope. Mm, definitely ahead of the curve because on YouTube someone had posted the SBI demo surrounded by <laughs> idiots. And, oh yeah, and I was like definitely. Pharrell and them. They used the Michael Jackson "Lady in My Life" sample before LL did for "Hey Lover," and it was like ninety ninety one, and they were so far ahead of the curve because when you first heard their beats, it was nothing like it. Because I remember well, when that's I first tempo. heard that's tempo. 
That's Timbaland on the SBI project. You know what I mean? Those beats, like you said, it was futuristic because Pharrell was a rapper in the group, but he wasn't producing. Mm-hmm. Tim was doing the production. So that record, all of that album, which was a, listen, classic, but you know, Tribe and uh, Tribe Called Quest and that sound was pretty a prevalent influence in their life as well. You know, we all loved them. So that played a big part in that too. Pharrell like idolized Tribe Called Quest. So it was like, that was one of his biggest influences, but the Surrounded by Idiots project, Timbaland, you know, you know, he produced that man. He started, he started walking in that production gift and it was just, it was a wrap from there. You see how he did, he became what he is, you know what I mean? Right, and then I remember before System, Missy was in another group. It was called Phase, I want to believe, spelling as F-A-Y-Z-E. Yeah. And it had a record That's called the- Next Move that I'm sure probably got played on 103 Jams. Well, that's who she came to the talent show with, was the the first group that she was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, first, the first group she was in. Because that was like back during the Tony Thompson High Five era, because you know, he was there, you know what I mean? It was a lot of people came through there, man, on that talent show. It was a good time, man. It was a great time for music. And I think that's what people have to realize, like Virginia produced musicians. You know what I'm saying? Like, not just people who do music or people who want to rap or people who want to sing. Like, this was a, a a pool that happened in Virginia Beach first, in a sense. You, but, you know, I can't leave out my man Bank Dog from Norfolk. He's a Norfolk producer. But just speaking on the Virginia Beach side of it, it was like a, a thing. You know what I mean? Because all of us was working together in a sense in the beginning. You know what I mean? So everybody got to sharpen each other and understand different things about it, about music. And then Teddy comes in and he opens everyone's eyes because that's everyone's first experience with a real studio. Up until then, we in Chad's room. Now we in a millions and millions of multi-million dollar studio. You know what I'm saying? With Ferraris in the front and and all of these, you know, Rolexes and that, all, just a life that, you know, a kid dreams about. And this is not the era we live in now. This is the era when records were actually being sold. So CDs were being sold. So if you sold, you know, three, four million CDs, that's what it was. It wasn't no streaming. So, you know, record companies were putting up a lot more money and they were um, backing their artists a lot harder. So we just was mesmerized. Like, yo, this has got to be, what is this? You know what I mean? We had never seen anything like that in Virginia. Right. And you mentioned the talent show circuit. I'm going to tell you, for those of you that don't know about the talent show circuit, you better come correct. Because if you didn't, it was going to be like Apollo, where they were going to let you know that you were that you were not good or not. So you had to be on your A game. Yeah, well, you know, Teddy, he did this in conjunction with the city, I believe, as well as the high school that we went to. You know what I'm saying? He did it in conjunction with the school. So that's what made it dope. And, you know, it was really geared to a high school kid. So... People, we want to give, they want to give people a chance. I don't think it really was about um, booing anybody, you know what I'm saying? Because the talent was selected. So anybody that was up there, they had to make it. So it was like an audition. Yeah, it wasn't like you just got up there and started doing what you do. That would have been nuts. (laughs) It was people that uh, Teddy's team at the time selected along with us. Man, that's yeah. crazy. So do you remember the home studio setup that um Chad had as far as the early production equipment and what y'all would use before you started working at Future? Chad had the 01W. He later got the Triton, but the 01W was his initial 
piece of equipment, the O1W, you know what I'm saying? That's where everything was built from. But what made it dope was, see, Pharrell's a drummer, okay? Uh, he, I, we played band together, or drums together in the band. He played bass, I played snare. So we can read music, we can read notations. Um, we can understand scales, we can understand rhythms, timings, uh, time signatures. So that's the difference. See, a lot of people don't understand that. They just, you know, they're just, I'm doing music, which is, you know, there's some people that are doing that. But when you get someone who's been exposed to how to understand things about music that you could only be understand if you're taught them, it's only gonna make what you do naturally better. You know what I'm saying? So that's what made them so dope because Pharrell might make this ill beat and then Chad come in with these keys. Then Chad Pharrell be like, nah, play this, like try this one. And that's how their sound started developing because you had two different cultures. That's what made it so dope. Chad was into rave music and you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and Pharrell was into hip hop and R&B and just, you know, pop and all of those. So when you bring this together, that's what started happening. So yeah, it was like Chad was always trying to make different sounds. And then he would take the sounds in the O1W and always tweak them to make them his own. He wouldn't just use them as a stock sound. You know what I mean? So that's what made it different too. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's Chad's room. And then he had a microphone. So what he did was he had a closet in his room. Chad took that closet and turned it to a vocal board. Yeah, had to, had to, had to, had it padded out. Everything that people be doing now, he was doing back then. I'm talking about this is what ninety. You know what I'm saying? This is early. Yeah, and um, might even been a little earlier than that. Yeah, mid late eighties. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah. With that being said, that's how it went. He had, a, and then he would upgrade. See, Chad, like I said, I went back. His parents would uh, invest into him. They believed in their son, you know what I mean? They believed in his gift would take him somewhere, which that investment obviously was correct, you know what I mean? And he, um, and his mother saved up, got him the Triton. He went to the next level. He had his whole room. Chad's room was, he had turned his room into a planetarium. So when you came in, it looked like the planet, you out of space, you know what I mean? So it, it went with the whole Neptune thing. and. It was just a dope time, man. It was a creative time, a freedom. You know what I'm saying? We weren't boxed in by genre or, you know, you got to make it sound like this. So you got to try to build a radio. It's got to sound, it was just organic, man. And that's mm -hmm. why I did what it did. Yeah. And you mentioned the influence of band. Can you tell about the influence that the HBCU March Band experience had on you guys, you know, with Norfolk State and Hampton University being right in their own backyard? Well, that would have been, you know, influenced indirectly, okay, mm -hmm. as far as the HBCU bands. The direct influence came from Princess Anne and Kimsville high schools. Chad was a drum major at Kimsville High. He was already, Chad was reading music at six, so he already was into that, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, he was playing sax. He could sight read an entire concerto, you know what I mean, right now, you know what I'm saying? So he was already reading music. Um, and Pharrell and I were in the band at Princess Anne. So we had a teacher named Alan Sharps who was a drum instructor, but he understood music theory at a high level. So he taught us from that perspective. And, you know, he was a white, white brother and he really cared about his kids in the band and what he did. So 
that's what had the major influence on um if you listen to a lot of the even the beats of the Neptune stuff, it's drum cadences. You know what I'm saying? From out from and that comes from that. It comes from the exchange between the bass and the snare line. Because the bass, which he Pharrell played top bass, you gotta really be able to understand notations and um upbeats as opposed to downbeats in order to make those um to be tight. So that's how the influence of that. And we would literally have to stand with a music stand, read our parts and play them joints out as they were written. You know what I'm saying? So that's where I think the musicality comes from. That's what's so important. You know, um, the training to be able to be taught from a musical theory perspective and from a uh, scholastical perspective, as opposed to just what you know you know, from your own natural ability, which is great. But when you mix that with the theory and the understanding, it goes to the next level because now you can write that way. So the patterns that you write in gonna be different. You know what I mean? The way you move in the music gonna be different because you understand it totally different than someone who doesn't know these things. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree because it takes a lot of time and a high IQ to understand the intricacies that comes with playing in band, knowing your notes. I'm rhythmically inclined. I can do that. I enjoy watching the halftime show. I'm going to leave that there. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at it. You got to think if we're playing eight record, eight songs, rap, Bahamian Rhapsody, you know, uh, The Great Gatsby, and all these things in one performance on the field, you got to remember all of this after you've read it. And now it has to become to the point where you memorize those notes. You see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it was real, bro. And that stuff sticks with you, man. man it really does. That, that is it's a gift. So, cra so crazy. Now you mentioned gospel and we were talking beforehand about mm -hmm. Big Mama got the AM gospel radio station blaring, got Bobby Jones on the TV before you go to yes, Sunday sir. school and you're listening to Williams Brothers, Jackson Seven Ales, Pilgrim Jubilees, Mighty Clouds of Joy. And so... Mm -hmm. What was it about those old school gospel quartets that shaped your singing style and how you were able to mesh that with the R&B and pop stylings of what you were hearing on the radio or through friends? You know, man, it was just, it's just soul. You know, church is soul. You know what I'm saying? No matter what I would try to get away from that. If you look at all of the people that Teddy dealt with singer-wise, they were soul singers, Aaron Hall. Joe Stone Street. A lot of people may not know him. Illis, you know what I'm saying? Like crazy. But he did Baby Baby Won't You Be Mine, but he didn't He didn't continue with the group. But that dude, listen to me. Y'all think Dave Hollister's dope? <laughs> Street is the, that's why the group was called Black Street, because his last name was literally Street, Stone Street. But um, yeah, ill dude, Chauncey, Eric, Mark, you know what I'm saying? Levi. You ain't gonna really like it ain't too many singers that came through that that regime of guys slash Blackstreet or, you know, whatever he was doing that weren't church dudes, you know what I'm saying? Because that's really what it is. It's just you change what you're singing about, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and I think the quartet sound, and Chauncey and Eric were in a gospel group before they became R&B singers. Like, so that's the, that's usually Aaron Hall's brother's a prophet, a preacher. You know, all of this is, um, and that's why now I think with with the music that I've evolved into, and I couldn't really 
put my finger on exactly which what it was until this past year when I did the new project. It because it's a mesh, man. You know, you could grow up in church, but obviously you grow as a person, so you're exposed to other music. You're exposed to other things. So, you know, I think that's what made Teddy dope. So he could take The Lord is Real, okay? That song, The Lord is Real, that was on the, the Another Level Project. He took that song, but it was an Elder Bart sample. Time will reveal. He took that and made it The Lord is Real, and it sounded like, you know, a church record even though the chords and everything, and that's one of the, the gifts Teddy had because you know, Teddy's self-taught. Teddy don't read music. Teddy sit down on the keyboard and just start playing what he hear. He can play anything. So that's a whole nother story. But you know, that's why I think, and Teddy started in the church, okay? So that's why I think you hear that in the music. Um, I think, you know, the church has played a, a, a huge role in birthing, especially R&B music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then hip hop, you know, started in New York, uh, so Ted brought that into the music, you know what I mean? So it's just an evolution. Right, because it's crazy to think about how before he did Rap's New Generation by the Classical 2, and then later Just Got Paid, Johnny Kemp, then of course the work with Keith Sweat and Guy, how he was able to take two genres that didn't meet in the middle of the room, put them together, and say, hey, you guys are going to do something special. Because for me, Teddy is my favorite producer of all time. And I tell people Mm. this, the first album that got me listening to gospel music was the Winans Return album with It's Time and a Friend. And listen, one thing about him, I think that production-wise, yeah, like you said, for his era and his time frame, and even just on a larger scale, like there's nobody really seeing him because he just... You know, that's a gift. Again, that's something like you're blessed with that to wake up one day and start playing, you know, in church. And now you can play anything you can hear. People don't do that. That's like, you know, that's weird. Not weird, but it's a miracle. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's a gift and and it's, it's a miracle in that God predetermines. You know what I mean? So he was already before he was born. God said, this is you. This is what I'm gonna give you. You know what I mean? Mm So, um. I think he's just one of the most innovative producers as well. Even, you know, and I think that's what, for his time, he was super innovative. He was doing things that nobody was doing right. for his time. Right, because I remember he was telling a story about how Frankie Crocker at BLS in New York had played I Wanna by Keith Sweat on Slamming the Jamming. And the audience wasn't really feeling it, but Frankie Crocker said, hey, this is going to be a huge record. You guys are going to get with it or get left behind. And people ended up getting with it. Now, did you think that there was a point where you thought like, okay, maybe what Neptune's doing and then what Tim and Missy was doing would be too far ahead of the curve and that people wouldn't get it, that it would be too far ahead of their time? I experienced it. Not just, you know, because actually when I signed my deal with Capital, because Master Plan, the album had gotten picked up, okay? That's mm-hmm. why Master Plan came out on Capitol, the first video. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I'm like, yo, because I'm seeing what music is going. I'm like, yo, we got to shift this. You know, my album feels really R&B-ish, you know, and Pharrell like, yo, why you ain't rapping on that too? He would always, Pharrell knows that I could rap. So he always pushed me to like start including that in my music so that, you know, I could say more, you know what I mean? And um, 
I was like, you know what? You're, you're freaking right. <laughs> I should be. But, you know, when people sign you for one thing, it's hard to make them see something else. And, you know, and typically labels are the ones that fall behind the curve. It's not us. It's not the artists. We know, like, yo, this is the next thing. But let me tell you, um, he was going to do the remix for me, for Master Plan. He did the remix for Master Plan. Man, that joint was crazy. We riding around on his porch listening to the remix to Master Plan at the time. And he was going to do it for a dirt cheap price for what they was worth at the time because it was me. You know what I'm saying? And um, the label didn't want to do it simply not because they didn't want to pay for it, none of that. They didn't want to. They couldn't see it because all they had was Super Thug at the time. They didn't understand this is the next thing, yo. And y'all don't see it. And I'm trying to tell y'all, we got to change the whole, I want to change the direction I'm going in. You know, I, and I want to add more of my faith into it. So even then I was trying to, you know, I was older, I was ready to, to make a shift. But at the same time, from my perspective, um, music wasn't ready for what I was thinking yet. The industry definitely wasn't ready for what I wanted to do as far as adding faith in, in, in God into a lot of things that would be mainstream or like, you know, more upfront. So that was dead. So that's why our issues kind of came into play. But yeah, they, they killed the Pharrell remix thing, you know, and if that would have been a major, that would have been so dope because he would killed it. He killed it. He did it. It was already done. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, so and, and it was done. It wasn't done around the record, it was done like on something else. So I would have been singing and rapping on it. You see what I'm saying? He had already did the beat. It was time for me to reinvent myself and take them somewhere else on the master plan journey throughout the album. But the label won't try to hear it. They bought this project that Teddy Riley produced. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's where their minds were. But I could see New Jack is, is, is going this way and now it's time for the next generation to take music somewhere else. They couldn't see that. Right. And as we know, with most labels, they're very risk averse, very bottom line about appealing to the shareholders and do what you have to do to get on top 40 or urban radio. And if it's too far ahead, then it's a big risk for them. Yeah. That's why now is the best time in the world, bro, because you don't really need them. You can you can break forth without that now. Yeah, do because it yourself. Totally changed. Yeah, it has totally changed, and the world is is yearning for something different. You know what I'm saying? Musically, that's why I feel like I'm excited, like I was back in Chad's room, man. Because the music that I'm making now is so out of the box. It's so not limited. It's so not genre specific. It's not gonna sound like gospel music, you know, because right. it's been labeled gospel music, but it has to sound a certain way, which to me is kind of crazy because if you're talking about this, the things that, if you're talking about the gospel in your music, what, what does it matter how it sounds audibly? But you know, that's just the world we live in where people want compart to compartmentalize things that they don't understand. And that's why I feel like a lot of what I'm doing now is for, because I feel like I'm at that place where I was with capital, but I'm able to do what I want to do because I can do it on my own. And I can put forth what is organic for me. And I don't have to try to make the church like it. You know what I'm saying? Because right. at the end of the day, it's for it's for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was thinking about your saying compartmentalizing how we put labels on things. Just about how, let's say, 
Clark sisters and the commi and commission had gospel industry maybe felt like, hey, these guys got an R&B sound, but their message is gospel. They would have been big because I had a chance to interview Mitchell Jones from commission and was just telling him about how Boys to Men, Shy, Intro, pretty much every male R&B groups of the 90s list them as their main influence on their sound. Yeah, and I mean, I think that in their time frame that they came out, you know, that was even edgy for the, like, um, you know, those more R&B sounding records were edgy for what they were doing at the time. You know what I mean? So the record companies did take a chance on it, um, you know, but when you start mixing, see, I think too, when you start mixing hip hop, okay, or things that are like totally away from the sound, cause see, R&B still has a gospel feel, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when you start infiltrating hip hop music, which is more prevalent now, even if you listen to the R&B music, it sounds like hip hop, okay? So when you start introducing that element into gospel music and start being more organic with it, Toby is a prime example. I can't pronounce his last name, but the one that has the song, Don't Try Jesus, I mean, don't mm -hmm. try me. Try Jesus, don't try me. Uh huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know who you're talking about. I really like him because it's organic, but his faith comes through in the music. You know what I mean? And he's not trying to appeal to church people. And I think that's where, for me, in G Next Life and for what I'm doing moving forward, because my turning point came when I was in the music industry, where I knew I had to make a change. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I have to make a difference. So. At that point, I think when you go away from it, even like what Kanye did, okay? Now you're gonna get a bigger audience to hear about God or to hear about Christ or to hear about Christianity or to hear about faith, you know what I'm saying? So for me, I just really took the limits off of myself. And honestly, it's people like Pharrell, it's people like Timbaland who I've watched stick to what they believed in and until somebody believed in it too because a lot of people didn't believe in it. And a lot of people told them no. And a lot of people didn't, you know, give them an opportunity, but they kept believing in the vision and eventually, you know, they became who they were. So I think we gotta stay true to what we believe musically, man. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've learned over all of these 20 years in the industry or, you know, doing music and everything. I've learned that finally now, I'm finally accepting of I'm different. Right. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like, the gospel artist that I grew up on necessarily that influenced me, but that's not who I am. Mm -hmm. The preachers that influenced me, they influenced me, but that's not who I am because I my background is different than theirs. You know what I mean? So I have to be who God called me to be. So I, the freedom in that alone is liberating, man. And you right. can make so much better music. Like when you hear this new, matter of fact, and I ain't trying to do a spoiler alert or nothing, but you know, I was on I was on the phone with Chauncey for an hour, um, about two three days ago, talking about some things, and and then I had like, yo, this record that I have called Brother, all I could hear was Blackstreet or Chauncey on that joint, because Teddy used to always say we had similar voices, so, you know, and I'm and I'm I'm rhyming on the record, but I it was inspired by a friend of mine who went to prison again after, and I just got the phone with him, matter of fact, but he went to prison again and um at 43, man, and it's just different, you know what I'm saying? Then when you go in there at 20 something, you know what I mean? And you facing that type of time. So at the end of the day, this record was birthed. 
okay? And I said, if I get them on, and I talked to him, and he was like, yo, I sent him the record and he loved it. But I said that to say, you said something earlier. Timing is everything, man. Who'd have thought all these years later, we're reconnected, the right people are coming around, the right pieces to the puzzle are starting to make sense. And, um, you know, that's that's why I think, man, it's, that's why I would, the advice I would give to any artist, and it doesn't have to be, you know, faith-based music that you're doing or whatever. It's just whatever you're doing, man, believe in that joint until right. that thing happens for you. You know what I'm right. saying? God put it in you. If God told you this is the direction to go in, no matter what you lose, no matter what doesn't happen overnight, stick. no matter who doesn't support you, he, he didn't already show you he's with you. So just keep doing what he told you to do. And that's how people get blessed because the music now will be from here. You know what I mean? Rather than from here. Right. Because if yeah. you're faithful with little, he'll make you ruler of much. You start off Come small and he'll, and he'll bless you with the bigger things. You got to have faith that's as tiny as a mustard seed. Listen, you got to, and you got to, you got to despise not the day, the Bible says, of small beginnings. You know what I mean? I started G Next Life two, three years ago. And I had an artist come out, Slater Joel, dope single, real soon, you know, but as time went on, and then I put out a record called Testimony, which kind of like defined where I was going with it. And I saw how people responded to it and how guys that could relate to what I was saying responded to it, but I was rapping for the first time. So then I knew I was on to something, but I was like, man, how do I do this? You know what I'm saying? So then um, during quarantine, Bink Dog from Norfolk, um, major producer, very humble guy, humble monster. Um, he uh, produced Santorini, Greece, you know what I mean? Like, um, turn it around, let me see something. That joint with Lost Boys. Lights, cameras, action. Lights, camera, action, he did that one. He did some Nipsey Hustle stuff. He, he, matter of fact, he did, he, he's the one that brought Teddy Riley the Don't Leave idea. Dun, 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 dun. That's the thing. samples a dream by the barge. Yeah, the sample and the beat was brought to Teddy by Bink. And then he replayed it. You know what I'm saying? So, but he called me during the pandemic and started playing me beats. And I was like, yo, wait a minute. So when he did that, he, he sent me a few of them. And the next thing you know, this new project was born, which I'm calling Preacher. You know what I mean? And then I got a guy in Jersey named Aaron Washington who worked closely with Rodney Jerkins for many years um, in Violin there. But he did a, a bulk of the album um, and sent me something. He kind of crafted something because we worked together for years too when I wasn't doing anything. Nobody knew I was in Jersey. Right after the master plan, I left Capitol. And I didn't really understand how that relationship would play out later in life. But now I didn't realize we were developing something then. So now it's like, yo, everything is here. You know what I mean? Every, all the stage is set for the next steps for Mike Etheridge. You know what I'm saying? And in the next chapter after, you know, because there's people that reach out to me from London, you know, and different places. Australia, I just had an interview with an Australian radio station, man, just hit me. And I did the interview and that's on um, iHeartRadio. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't just happen to people. You know what I'm saying? It's because what I did made it mark and people still remember that. And the book is not finished being written, dog. So now I'm really excited because I'm seeing glimpses of, wow, people are still interested in what I'm doing. And now I have something to really offer them. Right. That I now, think is now, you mentioned Super Thug earlier. Can we talk about Tammy Lucas? Yeah, Tammy's my girl. Like, Tammy, 
Tammy was like our aunt, big aunt, you know what I'm saying? Tammy um, and Teddy were really good friends. So Tammy had a deal. Tammy was writing. So she came down from New York. She had an apartment. So that's where we hung out a lot. You know what I'm saying? We hung out a lot at Tammy's, smoked a lot of weed at Tammy's <laughs> and just chilled, man. You know, she was just like really cool. So we had, we, we, Tammy is responsible for a lot of what you saw happen with the Neptunes because she introduced them to a guy named Kenny Ortiz at RCA. We went mm. to New York and that's how that popped off. Mm. That's where Rob Walker came into the picture and, you know, their career kind of went in that direction. So, you know, Tammy, man, Obviously, she she did it. She did a thing on "Is It Good to You," but she also was like a really great inspiration and connector. Like she she really helped helped us. Yeah, cause her backgrounds, buddy, can't nobody touch her. And Mary J had to had to come and pay the Teddy toll when she sampled "Goodbye Love" on the My Life album. I can't recall the name of the track, but it was just simply just her singing over "Goodbye Love." I want her on a record right now, bro. I'm being honest. I got a joint that I, I, I actually called it the other day. We spoke. Yeah, I wanted to do this record. I don't know if she's going to be able to do it, but yeah, I wanted to do this record. Tammy's dope, man. She has a very unique tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned Kenny Ortiz earlier, and I had a chance to interview Coco some years ago. And then, as we know, with the Right Here Human Nature remix, it's Pharrell's vocals that's doing the SSWW to the V. And did you? That's that's Teddy right there. That's Teddy, because not Pharrell. No, 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 that's Pharrell, but that's pre Kenny Ortiz. Uh -huh. This is when, like, around the time when he did the rump, he was still working under Teddy for a little mm -hmm. while. He was young. So Pharrell had did a rap for the SW record. He's like, yo, I want you to do a rap for this. Teddy tells Pharrell this. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yo, I gotta go to the studio, write this rap for this SWV joint. He didn't use the rap. He took that one part of his voice, the S, the double, the U, the V, V, and became a smash. So that's how that happened. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's the story what, behind that. But that's what we do about Yonder album cover. We get the backstories. Now, with Missy and Timbaland, with them hooking up with Devontae and starting with the basement with Devontae, just think about all the talent that Devontae assembled with Missy, Timberland, Tweet, um, Sugar, Player, Genuine. And when Sister and then Missy and Tim started cutting their production teeth on Jodeci's Diary of a Mad Band album, what was that like for you kind of hearing and seeing what they were doing up there with Devontae in the basement? I wasn't, because at the time I was and limp, you know, figuring it out still. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I was young. And um, I forget, I never forget, I was in the um, garage at my parents' house. There's a piano in there, so I, that's where I go practice. Tim called me and, and had me sing. I was so daggone nervous, bro. I, I was 15. <laughs> I sung over the phone for all of Jodeci, Devontae, everybody, man. They were like, yo, he dope. Sound like JoJo. You know what I mean? But um, so for me, all this stuff, I remember riding with Tim. He came and picked me up from my crib. I was going to sign to Timberland. When I, before I signed my deal with Teddy, it was between Teddy and Tim. Because Teddy and them had given me a production, but the, 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 the label wasn't solidified yet. So Tim and I, you know, obviously we had a history. 
and he like really wanted like if you look on the look on the back of that Tim and Magoo album and when he lists the artists it says Mike E that's how close it was I was in talks with his lawyer and all that like it was really close to happening like you know it won't God's will but uh Teddy that kind of pushed Teddy at that time to cut the check and do the deal that needed to be done for me to do what I needed to do you understand what I'm saying yeah. once he saw other people wanted to do that yeah so I mean that was like Tim has always been like a big brother inspiration, period. Like, cause I like Tim cause he gonna tell you how it is. He ain't gonna try to play no games. He ain't trying to play no sneak stuff, no funny stuff. He just gonna tell you like, Mike, yo, this is how it is. Or Mike, you should do this or blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, he's very real and upfront even if it's not what you wanna hear. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I just admire him still to this day. Right, man, that's so crazy. Cause I was reading in Timberland's book I don't know if it's true or not that Genuine had a whole album produced before leaving the basement and then putting out the Bachelor album. I don't know, but I don't doubt it because that's the type of work. Um, that's the type of work ethic Tim has. So I, I mean, I think that's he was probably he. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was already recording them. You know what I'm saying? So that ain't that ain't surprising. Yeah, because on YouTube, somebody actually found some snippets of demos from the basement. And I'm like, man, somebody is sitting on those full demos and the world just wants to hear them. Yeah, man. I mean, that happens all the time, though. You know what I mean? In the music industry, that happens all the time, man. Um, I tell you right now, listen to it. Remember that song, I Want to Make Love Tonight? Mm -hmm. Dave Hollister? Yeah. If you heard the demo of Joe Stone Street doing that, you would never listen to that version again. Wow. Let me tell you something. That song was written by Joe Stone Street, freestyled in the vocal booth. Mm. Y'all don't they listen. Joe That's what Stone we do here. Street. That's what we do here. Joe Stone Street, God rest in peace. He had a lot of issues, but man, that that brother. No black street singer, in my opinion, has, uh, have seen him as far as his, his vocal ability, his, his just, his, his genius from writing to singing. The man made Stevie Wonder cry, you know what I mean? Like singing. So um, the demos, man, there's so many stories of that. Mark Middleton's another one. So I can't, you know, Mark Middleton's, all the brothers can sing, but you know, I'm just saying as far as, you know what I mean? Rock Middleton's another one. All of them is sick. I love Eric too, though. See, each one has something special. Like Eric has a tone that is unmatched. There's a song that he did called Represent. That, see, my man Wes is his homeboy. He pro they produced Can't Get You Out of My Mind on the Black Street Project, okay? If you listen to that record, it has that different feel. They from Jersey. But Eric um sung that song called represent that they produced it never came out it was something they had done but if you heard that record right now you, you'd lose your mind like you know what i'm saying so all of the dudes got sick vocal ability but I, I i getting back to joe stone street he was just mesmerizing um so the demo issue you there's songs that you can hear right now i'm sure all over the world man all through the industry that you if you heard the demo you'd be like wow I can't believe that that was a demo. Right. And it's crazy because the things about like certain beats and about them being ahead of the curve, it just make you 
do this to your face, like, mm, that means the beat is hot. Because let me tell yeah. you, the one beat that made me scrunch up like that was The World Is So Cold with Genuine. Okay. Yeah. His oh, man, listen. Tim's, all of Tim's music is like that. Because Tim, again, he's an organic producer. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you don't have the taught skill set like to play or you're not naturally a keyboard player when you can compensate that for that in other ways of making a baby cry and be a a, a whole tone by itself listen you're a genius that's it there's nothing else to discuss that's why you know what i mean it's like what in the world the guy's he's a genius man i'm just glad i got a chance to to rub shoulders with any of them Right. And then I was looking at an interview somewhere and somebody was saying how when Missy was doing Stilo for 702, that she was content to just be behind the scenes doing writing, producing. I believe somebody was like, nah, you got star power. You need to go up to the front so that folks can see you because you got it. Missy's been a star, in my opinion. Even when she walked in that talent show, everybody was looking like, who that? Just, just She has an aura, man, a presence. You know what I mean? And you can see that in the videos and creativity that she presents it's she's different and she's still around mm -hmm. yeah very you know when she came out with the he he hell on the gina thompson the things you do remix and then the you know what though i think that we can't skip over her melodic ability one thing that i think separates missy is the way she puts harmonies together it sound like the clock sisters you know what i mean it gives you that you know old uh old school raylette feel but yet still southern gospel so because mm -hmm. when i, I hear a brand new when they do the chorus i can hear like a two-time double clap and somebody give me a tambourine and start yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sister album was fire oh, crazy yeah yeah man definitely so, so so very fire man so um i want to know if this is true or not if you can confirm or deny or if you don't know you can say um joy for black street was that originally intended for Michael Jackson? Yes. Because Tammy wrote that. Was that supposed to Tammy go on Dangerous? I'm not sure which album it was. Yeah, I believe it was that one. Whichever was the big, was that the, yeah. Remember the time? Was that yeah, Dangerous. On the album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, yeah, the dangerous yeah, that was that album. Tammy wrote that record for Michael Jackson. Tammy mm -hmm. Lucas wrote that song. Okay. All right. And then one work that this artist right here, I feel vocally, he was what Luther Vandross would sound like had he went full New Jack Swing and that's Big Bub. That's my guy. Yeah, Big Bub was always cool. You know what I mean? Just He's just a character, man. Good dude. So yeah, I love his voice. Big Bub, let me tell you, Big Bub commands a room, bro. When he opens his mouth, still to this day, you know what I mean? I just remember being in the studio with him I think Heavy D was there that night and um, Bub just started singing in the room, just like, dang, Bub. Yeah, Bub is, Bub is dope. Bub's always been dope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then another production that Teddy did that I feel gets overlooked because at this time, the group was coming off of their pop wave and they wanted to go more R&B route, but Changing in musical trends at the time, it was the work that Teddy did with New Kids on the Block on their 1994 Face the Music album. Because when I hear girls 
to me, it sounded like a Black Street cut and also um, Never Let You Go off of the Face Music album, which sounded very mm-hmm. much like a Black Street record because I believe that record mm-hmm. in conjunction with Teddy was done with uh, Leon Silvers, who's a bad man in his own right. Yeah, I mean, that's like Penny for Your Thoughts by Usher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All of it sounds the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we talked about looking the water earlier. I believe that record samples um, Holding Back the Years by Simply Red, correct? Yes. Yeah, that record, beautiful, melodic. And you said that that was done in high school by Pharrell, correct? When, when he was he wrote school. it, yeah. yeah. The music was totally different, you know what I'm saying? But, um, you know, some beautiful lyrics, man. He writes, he writes great records. That was a love song. So his interpretation of an R&B love song was, was deep, bro. It was like a, it could have been a Waterfalls record. It could have been. Mm, yeah, it kind of reminds you of, you know, you can see somebody performing it solo on stage, hit the right lighting. And if you got the right vocals, money. Yeah, and Teddy, I mean, a Simply Red sample, one day he said, Mike, we were finishing up my project. And he said, come in. And I went, he had a Fender Rhodes in the room offices from the studio, in the live room, they called it. And he just started playing the chords to the Simply Red joint. It was like, yo, sing the, sing the look in the water to this. And that's how that came. That's what he do, man. That man just, boom. <laughs> I started singing the hook and he was like, yeah, this is it. And then he created the record. That was it. Now, were you in the studio? We already had the record, but it needed to be revamped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing wrong with polish it up, giving it a fresh new coat, fresh new feel, yeah. get a brand new tape. Now, were you in the studio when they were cutting No Diggity? Yes. Um, that actually was, the beat was a guy. Um, can't remember his name. But um, he, he brought Teddy a couple of beats. It wasn't All Star, was it? No. No, no, no. This is another cat. I want to say Will was his name, but light skin brother but yeah and ted you know that's how a lot of the records came to play with teddy um people would bring him ideas and then he would take those ideas and make them become something totally different that was on another level they would he would be inspired by what they brought him you know what i'm saying mm, so he was basically bas- off a of field right off off of a bit like the basis of it mm. may be there like for instance with bink and don't leave you know, it was the sample and it was drums and some keys as well. But then Teddy replayed everything. See what I'm saying? So that's the difference. A lot of people can't do that, man. Replay a whole record here at one time and replay whatever you just played them. That's so, like cra- it's so crazy. And what made the record even more crazy, not only with having the grandma hand sample, rest in peace, Bill Withers, but the fact that Dr. Dre was on it. Oh, yeah, that was, you know, he just put Dre on there with Queen Pen at the last minute. You know what I'm saying? Made sense. In a scope, Jimmy Iovine at the time. So, you know, it was what it was. It opened up the West Coast. And plus, it had the West Coast that kind of, you know what I mean? Had like a little, you crip walk, you could crip walk to the joint. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, you know, signed to Capital, Master Plan. Great record great video and like we stated earlier the record label didn't see 
the vision, but like you stated earlier, so that now the internet has made the world a lot smaller, independent and streaming is where you can say, why do I need a label anymore? If I got my streams, my impressions, my views up, I can cut the middleman out and go out into the world and do it myself. Yeah, man. I mean, even when I started G Next Life, like I said, I have an artist assigned to the company because I was thinking, you know, faith-based my movement. Um, I wasn't really thinking about being an artist or coming back with a record because I think because I knew it would be hard for me to be myself. Mm. OK, so that's why I was like, what am I, had to, I don't even I won't say I had to figure it out. God had to show me like this is how I want you to present it, because I started a, a ministry of ch having church in the club because I was like, yo, we got to do something different to try to get the word out to people who ain't going to church, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm not called to just church people, you know what I'm saying? I'm called to take this word out to people who may never go to church, but yet need to be exposed to the gospel and be exposed to this, this promise of grace that we all should be afforded no matter what we've done in our lives, you know what I mean? And, and, and the people who need this grace, they're not in the church seats. Y'all already say, we're already saved. You know, we're moving to trying to perfect our salvation at this point and become, you know, uh, more like Christ and, and more spiritual. We've already been saved. That was instantaneous. So, you know, we could be perfected through the body of Christ, but the initial contact to people, I felt like, so that's why I had did that. Mm. But in the process of doing that, God started showing me the music was not to be put down. It was just, I didn't want you to, I wanted you to do it how I gave it to you and not be afraid to. But I also had to wait on the Lord for the right pieces to come, the right producers, you know what I mean? The right vision, the right music, the right experiences, man. And, and really just taking uh, the handcuffs off of myself mm -hmm. and really saying, you know what? I gotta do something that's gonna affect people. It's going to shock people in some aspects, but it's also gonna help them to see that, man, Christianity is not this, you know, old school thing that you gotta wear a suit and a big hat and you, you know what I mean? You gotta wear a bishop's collar and a robe and all of this and become this thing that's not you, okay? In order mm -hmm. to please God, you know, that's, that's the thing. A lot of people are turned off by Christianity because of the way, especially now, you know, what we see in the government and, you know, evangelicals that, are putting out racist things, you know, and then you, you know, even the church, man, you know what I mean? So, and I think the pandemic has played a really great role in forcing people to search within themselves for the spirituality that they long for, you know, which drives us back into the face of Jesus, you know what I mean? Drives us back into getting in that Bible. What does this thing say about me? You know what I mean? And so that's why I feel like G Next Life, the brand, you know, for me, it was bigger than church. You know what I'm saying? It was bigger than just tradition. You know what I mean? Although I'm I'm from that. I love it, bro. I love it. I'm gonna always be loving it. If I'm in, in there worshiping, my hands gonna be up too. You know what I mean? I'm worshiping. I'm 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 all for everything that comes with it. But don't throw out this this thing that it may be different than than what um, people have experienced before within the confines of gospel music. Right. Because if you do, look, Kanye showed us, you know what I'm saying? I don't agree with a lot of the things that he does or who he is necessarily or, you know, his, but I do agree with his spreading of the gospel and he's impacted the world with the gospel through music. 
in a way that I hadn't seen done in a very long time, man. Right. You know, no, I so agree. I think, you know, man, churches, so I think that's important. Yeah, because churches are beyond the four walls. It's wherever you are, we says wherever. But, go ahead. And we say that, we say that, but yet we stay in the box created by that. You understand? Like a lot of people say that. Oh, we're going out beyond the four walls. So now you may, that may be considered to someone witnessing in the neighborhood and knocking on doors. You know what I mean? Or it may, or it may mean to someone witnessing on your job. And those are all things that fall under that. But when it comes to gospel music, there's this protective, like almost thing over it. Like we can't call that gospel music because did you hear what he said? Or do you hear how it's presented? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so now, now is that because gospel is so caught up in tradition that you can't embrace what's new and say, let's take the labels off and be free and bring gospel to a new generation? Of course, because if you and, and I'm not trying to because I love, you know, I love tradition too. You know, there's some traditions that I think all, all tradition is good in, in its place. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. we don't want to lose that. We can't lose our foundation and lose what we came up on. But at the same time, especially if we have positions of influence, who are we influencing if we don't change or elevate or evolve? Who are we influencing other than the same people who are coming every week? who now become just a recycled group of people who may go to the next church. You know what I mean? Instead of creating something that touches people outside. And when I say outside, that was one of the, the focuses of the New Testament church was sharing the gospel with non-believers. See what I'm saying? And I think we've kind of lost that. We really have, man. It's become about the believers who already believe who are going to just, you know, jump up and down and, 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 and say preach. You know what I mean? But what about the guy on the street? You know what I'm saying? What about the kid who's in the gang? You know what I mean? What about the, the, the chick who just doesn't know which way to turn, you know, that may be living that life? You know what I'm saying? What about the people who don't see themselves in the church? You see what I'm saying? And I think that's my call. That's my that's my mission and that's my goal is to speak to those people through my music, through everything that I do. And I had to accept that because until I accepted it, I was trying to emulate rather than right. create. Yeah, because I know some people feel like, oh, I can't come to church unless I'm suited and booted or I have to be right or get right in order to come mm -hmm. to the church. Well, no, that's not the case. Church is for you wherever you are. God will meet you there. And I think it's, 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 and I think the problem is, comes in, this is a great discussion. When we, when we make church the focus, because mm -hmm. we say church and what do we think of? We think of a building. Uh huh. We think of first Baptist. We think of this one. We think of denominational organizations. We think of this organization when you say church. But in actuality, the body of Christ is the church, not a building. You know what I mean? So that's why a lot of people, even now in the pandemic, are having a hard time because they've been traditionalized so much that it doesn't feel right if I'm not in a building. It doesn't feel right if I'm not doing what we've always done. You understand what I'm saying? So I think that, you know, when we take the focus off of church and put it on Christ. Now we're talking about 
a movement. You know what I'm saying? Now we're talking about people who, because now you're opening up them to him rather than your organization, rather than your tradition, rather than how you do it. But if I can open you up to just say, yo, Christ is the centerpiece of this thing, man. And once you receive him and believe, like in one of the songs I say, you know, um, all you got to do is believe to be saved. You know what I mean? That's it. Like there's not a lot to it, but we've put a lot on it. Okay. And then when we do present it, it's like, it's got to be presented this way. So, you know, I just want to um, bring something different with G next life. God will always be, that's why it's G in the beginning, um, the center and the focus. But, you know, there's a lot of us who didn't have a straight and narrow life, who didn't just color in vacation Bible school pictures. There was some other dark things that happened in our lives. And I think sharing those things um, and talking about things that are uncomfortable and drugs and the streets and, you know, life, man, period, you know, um, sexual promiscuity and all of these things and desires of the flesh. We got to start being real, man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So that's what I think, you know, I'm excited because the handcuffs are off, man. Yeah, take the blinders off and don't use church like it's a social club where it's like, oh, I go to this church or I go to that church and the church got a reputation of being high, mighty, esteemed. You got people within a certain income bracket that go to this church and may not want to deal with those that are in the more urban or destitute areas of the city because they're worried about the outside perception of the church. The Like you said, the church is beyond the four walls and that you know, we are all a part of the church. And if we're not doing our part to be real and be true to ourselves, then who we're being real and true to? Come on, man. You, you said it and, and you said a mouthful, you know, the body of Christ. Think about it. Our bodies have, I don't even know how many organs, blood vessels and all these things in it. The body is a big thing. You know, it's a very intricate organism. And with that being said, and that, that's a great word. The church is an organism. But in, in my opinion, it's become, um, instead of a movement, it's become a monument that mm -hmm. celebrates the past right. and celebrates what we used to see and what we used to do in 1965, the Holy Ghost fell on in, in, you know, over here. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. what is he doing now? That's what I want to know, because I got to wake up tomorrow and deal with the struggles of life. Right. So now I need to know how to translate that into my own personal life. So... I think these are the conversations that we need to have so people can have a more practical grasp on Christianity so they can apply it in their lives and become better people instead of just better church members. Right. And I know, folks, this is a music podcast, but we are going to have church today. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I ain't mean to preach, but no, no, you know, no, no, no. We are going to have church today because even though this is a music interview, who knows this interview can be somebody help somebody. Yeah, man. And, and I really believe that because so many people feel unworthy, man, you know, and that's why they run to other religions and run to sorcerers and run to, you know, mediums and fortune tellers and all of these other things, because guess what? We've made them feel like they don't matter. So now I'm seeking out other things that are totally demonic and not what God's purpose and plan is for my life. So, you know, again, I just... I'm excited, bro. I'm ready. I'm ready to share, you know, a lot of things with the world, man. And I think my experiences in the music industry is what ties directly into that, you know, because my, what happened for me, um, I wanted to share that. 
I was in a limo leaving a show in LA and the church music came on. It was a gospel record that came on and I started crying in the back of the limo and God told me, he said, this is not how I want you to do it. And I knew then this was over. You know what I'm saying? I mm -hmm. knew then the master plan whole situation. I knew that it was going to end. I knew it, but it was obviously I had to keep, you know, walking through the motions of it. But God has spoke to me then and said, and I, and he told me, he's like, you got to take off what they're trying to make you be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's, so, so it was like, I surrender all, give it all up. Yeah. I surrender all show me who I am. Okay. And, and then, you know, obviously the hurt, through the industry and the different things you experience start to leave a bad taste in your mouth for the game. But then when God revisits you and says, look, you think I put all of that in you to be around all these great producers, great people, the gifts I placed inside you to write music on 7 million albums, albums that have sold 7 million copies, even, you know, in your latest, uh, to have a record with Pharrell on the Hidden Figures soundtrack, you know what I'm saying? In order to do that, do you think I did all of this just to for you to forsake music? No, it's but I want you to do it the way that I created you to do it. And I'm finally at that point, bro, after all of these years, B, I'm finally at that stage where I'm able to do the music the way God gave it to me to do it. And I'm it, so excited. Like, I can't even explain it. It's not about a deal or anything. It's about the freedom to create and produce something that, man, I know is real and organic. Yeah, because I yeah, cause I can tell you got that fire shut up in your bones. I'm ready, Doc. Listen, that's how excited I am about the project. I got the book coming out as well with the album during that same time, which is going to be called Fitness with Flavor, because I've lost right now about almost 70 pounds, got about 25, 30 more to go. I'm going to be at my goal. And um, I want people to also learn that the next for your life, 35, 40, whatever, you still have a next, man. Get in shape for it. Be ready for it. You know what I'm saying? Start building up your body and your immune system and different things so you can uh, be most effective at what you believe in God. For. Mm -hmm. Now, the Netflix series voices of fire just dropped mm -hmm. and we know that the bishop ezekiel wims who is pharrell's yeah. uncle you know i never yeah. realized like how musically inclined his family was because his uncle bad man on the keys correct yes uh ezekiel williams bishop ezekiel williams he's always been a great organist along with chucky olds you know who's like the master you know what I mean? In, in Virginia Beach. Some other great ones too. There's, a, you know, Christian Hines out of Norfolk. Just to name a few. Andrew Williams, um, Bernard Williams. These are old, old school cats. But yeah, man, um, I remember spending a Thanksgiving with Pharrell's grandmother years ago. And um, Zeke was there with his wife at the time and got on the piano and just, they were singing. And I was like, wow. You know what I mean? So he's been, he's been a staple in the, um, the church, uh, church of God in Christ community for quite some time, uh, Bishop Williams. So that's not, you know, that's nothing new. It's just that y'all just hearing about it, but he's been uh, a staple in that community for quite some time. So that's nothing new for him. You know, he's been that, he's been that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And for those of you that have not been to a church down south, let me tell you, depending on what denomination, where you go, it's going to be clapping, singing, shouting. If somebody catch the Holy Ghost, you bet a church mother is going to come and put that sheet over them. Yeah, and they might have to give you some smelling salts, you know. I've never know. seen the smelling salts. I've seen I the have, sheets, and I've seen a couple of church mothers put that little skirt over that woman, like, uh, baby, your dress is a little oh, bit yeah. short. Um, we're gonna make sure that you right in the house. We can't let um we can't let your your, your slip show, you know. Like, no, nah. no, nah, you know about them old school tent revivals, right? Yeah, oh my god. Well, my yeah, I know see. Later in my walk with God, I met a man by the name of Bob Pulley, who's my like spiritual father, I call him, because mm -hmm. that's when I really encountered God. That's when things really begin to change for me. Um, he actually prophesied to me about the entire master plan situation before it happened. I had no idea I would ever get that record picked up on a deal, nothing. He told me it would, and it did. Um, but he, one of the things he told me that I would always be writing. He said, writing is what's going to be what opens it up for you. Your music, I see music around you. So, and it's crazy, you know, all these years later, man, even down to, like I said, the record on the Hidden Figure soundtrack. Um, that was a big deal for me. And at this stage in my career, for that to happen uh, for me. And I knew then at that point, this is bigger than I'm trying to make it. Because the actual, it started with a song called It's Gonna Be All Right that I put out. And that record, it did really well on an independent scale. Like people were embracing it. But then it turned into something else because it was supposed to be for a remix. Done, uh, Pharrell was gonna do a remix to it, but the, the opportunity came up for it to be a part of the soundtrack. So, you know, that was a blessing for me. And to have ownership of something even now to this day, you know what I mean? That every quarter I'm seeing what it is. And that's something that my kids' kids will, you know, it's one song, but that was like a really eye-opening experience for me. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Why are you wasting the gifts I've given you? You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and not stepping into the purpose. Mm. So that was a big turning point for me when that happened, um, when that situation happened and I was able to, to, to garner that uh, situation and be a part of it and see the business aspect of that situation. Mm -hmm. That's when I said, wait a minute, man, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta do what I gotta do. Like, why am I not using this? But again, it came from a lot of hurt in the industry and I could have even, that situation could have even been something that I let uh, looked at negatively, but I saw it as a positive because I knew at that moment, I have a record on one of the biggest movies in the country. You know what I'm saying? It, for perpetu perpetuation, perpetuity for life. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I knew then I got to take this serious again, but what are you telling me? Because that song was very different too. It was different than the music I had done before. So I knew it's time to take it to the next level. So that's what, that's what happened, man. So every step that you make, man, don't take it for granted. Take it as God leading you to the next place that you're supposed to be. Right. Just like 
you know, walking on water, I believe it was Peter, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, about, um, you know, walking on water and he didn't want to get out the boat. God is out there and, and he was like, I'm afraid to get, 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 get out the boat. And God said, I'm right here, just walk and I'll lead you one step at a time. One step at a time. And even, you know, it's so crazy because we was talking about that biblical story the other day. Not only that, you know, T.D. Jakes put a different spin on it and I thought it was dope. He was like, what if staying in the boat would have been better than getting out though? Mm, that's good. So many times, so many times we want to run away from the storms instead of staying in and trusting God, no matter how much water gets in. Huh? He's not going to let me sink. Everybody got saved from that storm, including Peter. But it didn't matter that he walked on the water. He still got saved. Right. So my point is, you know, we got to have a balance between trusting God and moving. Okay. Because a lot of times, what I've learned, getting back to you saying, taking those steps of faith, is with my company, especially now. Every time I continue to do what God placed in my heart to do or gave me the vision to do, that's when doors open. That's when opportunities come. That's when the next call comes. That's when this or that happens. So I think that we have to remain calm in the storm, but don't stop working. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? He wants to see how you're going to respond. Do you we, trust him? We in the midst of it. Praise him anyway. I was going to say that. I was going to say praise him in the storm, but you, you took the words out of my mouth. I think yep. that's very. And, and also, don't just praise him. Don't stop working. You know, your podcast, your interview things. This is a prime example of years of 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 faithfulness, if you will. You know what I mean? And I think that people don't want to do that. People don't want to put that time in, even if no matter what, you know, and accept where God has them at that moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And trust me, even just now, you know, the things that you're doing now will pay off even more later. So it's like everything you do is a seed, but most of the time, a lot of the times we are, we're, we're afraid to keep planting during times where we don't understand what's going on, but that's the most important time to keep going. Yeah, definitely that, because faith without works is dead. Come on, bro. You I'll say it one more it time. Is. Faith without works is dead. One more time, because I believe somebody either listening to this via audio or watching this on the video needs to hear this. Faith without works is dead. That dream that you have been holding off Go for it. All you got to do is just put one step at a time. I'm going to tell my testimony here today because I believe somebody needs to hear this. I was born two pounds, three ounces. And as we record this on the podcast, I'm 35 years old. Doctor said I wouldn't make it. Doctor said that you're so tiny, I could take a bath in a pint bucket. Three years old, wow. I was reading. I was watching BET, watching MTV reading Jet Magazine, Ebony, soaking up all this knowledge, and then led me to have my radio show in college that ran for five years. Then this podcast wow. started two years ago. Been starting getting interviews since March. Been leading here, here, here. So don't let a no deter you from what God has called you to do because no stands for next opportunity. I said one more time. No stands for next opportunity. Now, I, I don't know what you are going through, whoever's listening or watching right now. Just know that 
I love you. God loves you. If you have that hurt, if you have that grudge, let it go. If you have not let it go yet, ask God to heal you from that hurt, to let that go, to have him come into your life. Have him plant that seed for that destiny that he has called for you because you are more than a conqueror. You are more than what that person said that you were. Let it go because it's all gone. It's all gone. And I pray that you who receive this will have all that is done for you and that you will be the person that God has called you to be. That's what God laid on my heart right now to say to whoever's watching and whoever's hearing. Because I'm not going to let this sit in me without me witnessing to somebody else on my podcast, on my phone. Because I believe that's, that's what the good Lord has called me to do. Hey, look, that's good, bro. It's your birthday, too. That's dope. I like that, man. And happy birthday to you. Thank well. you. Thank you. Thank you. And one more thing I want to get into um, for grinding. I heard that that beat was originally supposed to go to Jay-Z. Which one? Grinding for the clips. I don't know. That's something you got to talk to. I don't know. You know what I mean? I can't. I can't. I don't know about that. Right. Because I know for that beat, it started know, a lot I of lunchroom ciphers everywhere. I'm going to tell you I, that. I know that. I know that they killed that joint, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that, like I said, that beat, crazy. And I want to give a special shout out to my boy, B-Man. B-Man, he's a big Neptunes fan out of South Boston, VA. So I definitely want to give him a wow. shout out. Yeah, so shout out to everybody, you know, Richmond, Emporia, Franklin, Suffolk, Cortland, Boykins, awesome. Southampton, Virginia, York, Williamsburg. Petersburg, you know, shout out to all of VA, man. Because I got yeah. family in VA and shout out to NC. And do you got any shout outs you want to give, Mike, before we conclude this interview? Shout out to the whole VA, man. Shout out to uh, all the future record people, you know, that I still associate with. Markel, his wife, you know what I mean? People, Chauncey, Eric, Blackstreet, you know. I'm just thankful, man, to be a part of music history and um, shout out to G Next Life. That's what's coming next. You know what I mean? Uh, the fitness, we're bringing the fitness book, the cookbook, Fit With Flavor. We're bringing the album, my album, which is, um, it's actually going to be called um, Preacher. Um, so my album will be coming out next year. I have an artist as well that we're going to be bringing out. I got a lot of things that's, that's going to be happening this year, man, that I'm really going to get back to just making organic music, man. It's something that I think everyone's going to love. It reminds me of when I created the things that I created during the Master Plan album um, with me and Chad and, and then things like that. It just feels like that because I'm creating organically and I'm saying some things that I think are going to really bless people. I'm excited about it. So I want you to be on the lookout for the new Mike Etheridge project which is going to be called Preacher. Um, the first single is going to be called Preacher. I'm considering called, because I have another song called Me, M.E, period, which is Mike Etheridge. So I'm considering calling the album that. I'm not sure yet. It depends, because I got about two more records to go. But when I tell you guys, you're going to get hip-hop, R&B. You're going to get it all on this project. You're going to get great music. And you're going to get something that's meaningful. Every record I tried to make, even if I'm talking about myself, my kids, my family, my past experiences with um, in life, 
the hardships, the good things, the bad things, whatever I'm talking about in the music or whatever the song is relating to, I, my only hope is that someone gets something out of it to help them through their day um, to say, yo, I can relate to that. You know, Mike Etheridge is giving us our faith, but we've seen even through the music, how his faith has brought him through. So that's, I'm excited about it. I want everybody to be able to look out for that in 2021. And like I said, also the book, which is going to be called Fitness with Flavor, because I do a lot of cooking, man. That's a big part of my life. I'm the type of person that, you know, for me to lose them 70 pounds, I had to have flavor or I'm going to cheat. I'm going to get some chips, some cakes, something. So I wanted to create something that gave people healthy options that still tasted like the foods we like to eat, man. So definitely that's going to be something that um, comes out as well as well as, as our merchant product with the I Gotta Be Meat shirts and all that good stuff. So G-Next Life, stay tuned to that brand. If, if you see this, go follow our G-Next Life page for updates. Next year, we're really going to be going with it strong. So I'm excited. I, I want to thank my brother for bringing me on here and, 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 and finding me worthy, you know, to, to speak to the people and share just some things in my experiences that I've been through in the VA music scene. So, you know, VA is a place of greatness, nothing but great producers, great musicians have come out of this area, man. So, you know, from Teddy Riley to, well, I'll start with Pharrell, Chad, cause they're Virginia natives, Timbaland, Missy, you know, and then Ted as well for he, he was here long enough to be a Virginia native, but you know, we're just, I'm just thankful that I got a chance to experience, uh, the music world, you know, at the level that most people dream about, you know, so I have no regrets. I'm thankful and I'm going to continue to do what I do and, and, and do it in my lane in the best way that I can. So I thank you guys. Thank you for having me again. Happy birthday, man. So thank you very much. Plug, plug, your, plug your social media, plug your social media real quick. My social media, you're going to have um, the new Mike E, the new Mike E is what you would look for on Instagram and, and just Mike, Michael Etheridge. Well, let me give you this Mike Etheridge. So go to my Mike Etheridge page, which is, uh, you'll see the blue check on it. There's only one blue checked Mike Etheridge. I'm on, it's only one me. <laughs> Whoever I am, it's only one me. You know what I mean? So you'll see the blue check on the Mike Etheridge page. Go hit the like button on there and the follow button so I can keep you posted as we begin to really drop things and start releasing them because I'm going to do a lot from that page because you can obviously promote from that page. You can reach more people from that page with your, you know, um, marketed promotions. So I'm going to be doing a lot from that page. I'm excited about it. Also, G-Next Life has a page. You can follow there too. So I'll be running those simultaneously um, because the G-Next Life stuff will be obviously more broader. The Mike Etheridge page will be just about what I'm doing, but G-Next Life will include other things and other people and you know we're going to try to you know just make that a little broader but yes follow me there um i'm actually uh the new mike e on twitter as well so i don't use twitter much but i'm about to actually start using it again so i'm excited man just follow me catch up with me shoot me an inbox tell me that you heard the old school stuff i used to do let me know you're looking for this new stuff all right, follow him on all social platforms. You can catch this interview on all streaming platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in the video version 
youtube.com beyond the album cover and that's it on all social media platforms so yeah. this interview is the last of 2020 i will be taking a holiday break so you have this interview which will be dropping on sunday the 13th of december and you will have past episodes to keep your appetite wet until 2021 when we have more fire episodes of beyond the album cover ladies and gentlemen the one the only mr mike e thank you once again my brother for coming on and i really appreciate i had a great time i look forward to staying connected with you my friend oh yes sir thank you once again